1: Me? Is there no into your own hypocrisy? Your God is power, you have no shame. Your only interest is political gain. You hide your eyes and refuse to listen. You play
0: your game. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm very, very grateful you all tuned in today. Uh, I want to tell you that we're doing our Wednesday show kind of like a Thursday show. It's a unique show for us on a Wednesday. We do have one guest in studio, just like our Thursday shows, um, and an in-studio audience. And we are very excited to let you know our guest today is Riley Gaines. And I think most of you are thinking, I know who that is. But in case you didn't or don't, uh, she is a, a young woman who was a very very highly qualified uh, winning swimmer she was at university of kentucky she uh, won five sec titles 12-time all-american swimmer and so you know we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes to get to that level of swimming competition Uh, but she then encountered the trend right now the uh, trend and the push with transgenderism to have a male an anatomical male participating in her swimming sport, uh, causing her to lose out on a championship and really interfering with the whole notion of women's sports. uh, And under Title IX, of course, all you know, in Title IX, there was a great effort in America to try to get women uh, really treated well at the collegiate level, engaging in uh, their sport. And so that is a whole discussion too, whether this should be permitted. But the challenge of men competing in women's sports and hanging around their locker rooms, uh, I'll be talking about today riley gaines so please help me welcome Riley gaines to the show thank you well people are excited i'm telling you i think people are excited about a young woman who is uh, passionate and clear in her thinking and wanting to speak up about something that many people around the country can hardly believe is happening it just seems in fact earlier today you spoke at a luncheon someone made the comment about how you know, it's just like a, a wave happened, and, and all of a sudden, transgenderism is the, is the biggest thing going. And so I think to hear someone speaking up in the informed, articulate, passionate way you are is just amazing. But I want to start with something going way back in your life. I know from, our, as I mentioned to you, one of our sons played college basketball. It takes an enormous commitment to get to the level of skill for anyone, in male or female, in any sport, that you would be be able to uh, compete, able to be get get end up with a scholarship, a, a play on a Division One school. So, tell us about how much of your life, how much swimming dominated your life from childhood.
1: It dominated my entire life. Um, I started swimming when I was four years old. Um, your typical summer swim. Um, so I didn't really get more serious about it until I turned eight. Uh, when I turned eight, this is when I started swimming year round. And by the time I was twelve. I was ranking in the top of the nation, Um, so from there, of course, it only gets harder. Middle school, high school, you're practicing before school, you go straight to school, you come home from school, go straight to practice, you come home from practice, you do your homework, you eat your dinner, you ice your shoulder, you go to bed, um, you wake up, you do it all again the next day. Um, And of course, it only gets worse once you're in college, I say worse, it only gets harder once you're in college because you're practicing six hours every day in the water. Um, and I wanna mention swimming, you're, you're essentially starving yourself of oxygen. You're looking at the same black line at the bottom of the pool for hours every single day. Um, three of those six hours were before 8 a.m. at the collegiate level. So it's impossible to even put into words the amount of time, the dedication, the sacrifices you have to make to compete at that level. That being said, no one forced us to. No one was holding a gun to my, a gun to my head saying, you have to do this. But that's what we were willing to do because we set those goals. We, we had those dreams that we were willing to do whatever it took to achieve. Um, but in terms of the sacrifices you make, you don't get to go on vacations. Um, you don't get to go to prom. You don't get to have sleepovers with your friends. Um, in college, you don't get to come home for summer. You're there all summer long. You don't get to come home for Christmas. You don't get to come home for Thanksgiving. You get one week off in August each year. That is it. Um, the rest of the time, you're training. Uh, taking a day off in swimming is looked very, it's not looked well upon. Um, even if you're sick, I, the amount of times I swam through the flu, through strep throat, whatever that looked oh like, gosh. Um, because again, taking time off was never a good thing in the sport of swimming.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the part about the impact on your social life, because I think, you know, what we're gonna talk about today and the uh, entry of anatomical males into women's sports, you know, it's a, it is really something you, st- you had to work so hard for so many years to get there. And the sacrifice isn't just utter exhaustion every day, but it's really a change, a very different from the social life that most kids have in high school. I mean, the, as you mentioned, sleepovers and parties, just none of that happens to be dedicated to your sport.
1: No, right. Even in college, Um, we weren't allowed to, we had, I was team captain my junior and senior year, and I had an implementation for our team where we weren't allowed to drink alcohol um, from October to March. So a lot of people, especially when you're in college, those are the days you're supposed to be able to go out and have fun, but that was not something that a championship team does. You don't get to, to, I say you don't get to have fun. Swimming is fun in its own ways, but I think we can all agree that there is a good amount of suffering that comes with it. Um, but again, that's what you have to be willing to do. You don't get to um, not make these sacrifices, not to mention the amount of school we missed. Um, we missed weeks of school at a time traveling to these championship meets, and, and that's really taxing too when you spend so much time in your sport. Of course, you want to excel in academics as well, but it's hard when you're missing weeks at a time in and, and college, course, college courses that are very fast-paced um, to begin with.
0: It's an amazing commitment. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you laid it out in that detail. You were talking earlier about the idea that when you are a competitor at the level you were, you become familiar with the names, at least, of other people in your age group who are also really high-performing competitors. And I believe you were saying this was, at one point in your life, and you can tell me what it was, you could see the national ranking. So you were three, so there was a, someone above you whose name you knew. And then there was someone's name you hadn't heard of before. so tell that story.
1: Absolutely. this was my um, senior year at the University of Kentucky. I had made it my goal to win a national title. Um, the year prior, my junior year, I finished seventh in the country and I, I knew I could do better. Um, and I was right on pace to do so. The, about middle of our season middle of my senior season, which was about, about November of 2021, I was ranked third in the country um, behind one amazing female athlete who I knew very well, because just like you mentioned, we've grown up swimming against each other. Um, Your top tier athletes, regardless of where you compete in the country, regardless of which university you go to, you know of each other. And if you don't know each other personally, you, you know the names of one another because swimming is a sport where typically at that level, Um, You've been relevant since you were young. Um, It's not a sport you can just jump into your senior year of high school and excel in, typically. Um, So I knew the girl who was ranked in second, one place above me, very well. But the person who was ranked in first, um, I had never heard of before, and as I mentioned, this was very bizarre. And so there was a lot of red flags at the time, Um, and of course this is the first time I became aware of a swimmer named Leah Thomas. But there's a lot of red flags. One of which this was a senior, which I mentioned is bizarre. You don't just come out of nowhere senior year. Two, the swimmer was from the University of Pennsylvania, which is not historically a school that produces fast swimmers. Three, this person was trailing the country by seconds, which in swimming, even one second, that's a lot. This is a sport that's measured down to the hundredth of a second. So to have one person beating the entire rest of the country by multiple seconds, that's an anomaly. Um, and kind of the last red flag was this this person, and for what I thought at the time, this girl was ranked first in the 100 freestyle, which is a sprint event, and everything in between, all of the freestyle events in between until the mile, which is long distance. And so if you think about this, like your Olympic runners, your best 200 meter runner is not your best marathon runner, but that's what we were seeing in this person. So there was a lot of kind of just head scratching. You know, who is this person? I was talking to my coaches, to my teammates, and we couldn't make sense of it until I I got a text from my coach and he sent me a link to an article. And he said, you might want to read this because he knew my goals. He knew I wanted to win a national title. And so I'm reading this article and very briefly in a blip of a sentence, as if we were supposed to just skip right over it. Um, This article discloses Leah Thomas was formerly Will Thomas and swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania before deciding to switch to the women's team. And then continued on, um, again, as if we were supposed to breeze right past it. And so I read this, and I read it again, and of course I was shocked. I I was baffled by this information. I thought this was so far-fetched, I thought this would never happen, especially in college At, at the D1 level. I thought we knew men and women were different. Um, But there was a sense of relief when I read this article, because it made all of those red flags kind of make sense. And so I was able to look up who Will Thomas was, because I was curious. Was this someone who went from ranking first to now continuing to rank first? Um, Which is of course not what we saw. This was a mediocre male at best, ranking 462nd in the nation among the men. Um, the year prior to now, of course, as I mentioned, dominating among the women. And that's why I say I was relieved, because I thought the NCAA would see it exactly how I saw it, exactly how anyone with a brain and common sense would see it. (laughs) But that's not how the NCAA saw it. Um, They saw absolutely nothing wrong with allowing Leah Thomas, who was formerly Will Thomas, to swim with the women.
0: Speaking of the NCAA, so, uh, you graduated in 2022. Is this correct? Okay. So I, I happened to look it up earlier. On January 19th, 2022, was when the NCAA announced a change to their transgender athlete participation policy. So they're, they're kind of formally saying, you know what, um, we're going to basically go ahead with the idea of implementing uh, this policy they, that was essentially saying we're going to let men who identify as women swim against women. Okay, so you're in your senior year. We're jumping over amazing accomplishments in your life. Prior, just very quickly, in college, you had won numerous swimming competitions. Obviously, you're ranked as you were. You had won, like I mentioned earlier, 12 all-time All-American swimmer, five SEC titles. I mean, did you have an event that was your thing or many events you compete in?
1: Um, I swim freestyle and butterfly. My um, I- Best event was probably the 200 butterfly. Um, I'm the Southeastern Conference record holder. Um, I'm one of the fastest Americans of all time in the event. I have very big shoulders under this shirt. <laughs> um, I qualified, I was the, one of the youngest to qualify for the Olympic trials in 2016. Uh, I was only 15 years old. I qualified again in 2020, which COVID happened, and so that took place in 2021. Um, so I have done a lot of things in my career that I was very proud of. Things that I know wouldn't have been possible without the women's sporting category. Um, so I do feel as if in a sense, which I don't look at myself in any way as any kind of victim. I think truthfully this is, I don't wanna say it's a good thing this has happened, but in a, in, a, in a sense it is kind of fortunate in the way this has worked out because it's brought forth a conversation that is so necessary. Um, But I do feel as if a lot of my accomplishments and achievements, even outside of just athletics, um, I was the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year, I was the SEC Community Service Leader of the Year. So a lot of things that I was very passionate about, I excelled in. And I feel as if that's kind of been um, overlooked. But if there is one thing that I'm okay with it being overlooked for, it's for fighting for women and girls.
0: Love that. Okay, so tell us about your first encounter. You had a, an encounter with observing Leah Thomas swimming at an event. Actually, let's just jump to it because we have so many topics to get to. Uh, let's just jump to the big event at which you and, he, you and Leah Thomas, um, I, I notice you're polite and you use the she. I have a really hard time with that. I don't okay oh good okay (laughs) i know in that case we're on the same page uh so you had the the big event the ncaa big championship where you two swam describe that event where you essentially tied and what happened
1: um that ncaa championships i got to personally witness and feel the effect that this infringement this injustice had on myself and my competitors and my teammates um The tears that I saw from ninth and 17th place finishers who missed out on being named an All-American by one place. The extreme discomfort that we all felt in that locker room. The grumbles and the whispers, because that's what they were. They were whispers of anger and frustration from these girls who, just like myself, had worked our entire lives to get to that point. But that first day of competition was the 500 freestyle. Um, I watched on the side of the pool as Leah Thomas swam to a national title, beating out every female in the country, again, by body lengths. Um, There was Olympians in that field, there were American record holders in that field. The most impressive female swimmers this country has ever seen, Thomas beat by seconds. That next day of competition was the day that Thomas and I raced each other, um, and this was the 200 yard freestyle. We both swam in the morning and we qualified for finals and we came back (coughs) that evening, um, and almost impossibly enough, we tied. Um, we went the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second. I think our, our time was one minute, 43 seconds, and 52 one hundredths or something of that nature, which is pretty rare to tie when you're swimming for almost two minutes. Um, to, go down, to go the same time down to the hundredth of a second um, is pretty crazy. And so we get out of the water and we go behind the awards podium, and the NCAA official looks at both Thomas and myself, and, and he's towering over me at six foot four, and I'm all of five foot five. Um, And the official says, great job, um, but you guys tied, and we don't really account for ties in terms of the trophy. Uh, So we're going to give this trophy to Leah. Great job. And so I was, of course, taken aback by this, Um, not because I wanted to hold the trophy. Um, I'm a 12-time All-American. I have lots of those at home. It wasn't the tangible object that I wasn't okay with not holding. It was the principle of what was happening. And so I questioned the official, and I said, "Okay." I know we tied and I know there's one trophy, but why are you adamant on giving this trophy to Thomas? And he was not prepared to answer this by any means. And so he kind of stumbled on his words and said, uh, well, we're just doing this in chronological order to which I said, okay, well, what are you being chronological about? Because we tied and G comes before T. Um, (laughs) And he said, well, To be honest, Leah has to have the trophy for pictures. Um, So you can pose with this one, but you have to give it back. Um, You go home empty handed and Thomas will take the trophy home. Mm -hmm. And that's when I had had enough because of course, up until this point, I knew the unfair competition was wrong. I knew the locker room was wrong, but when they reduced everything that I had worked, not just myself, all all of the females at that meet, everything we'd worked our entire lives for. They reduced that down to a photo op to validate the feelings and the identity of a male at the expense of our own. And that's really what thrusted me into this position of really just taking a stance in the truth. Because what they were asking us to do was lie um, by acknowledging Thomas as a woman. That's not beneficial to anyone. Um, Anyone with eyes could see this person was not a woman. Um, And you're asking us to kindly step aside and smile and give up our spots on the podium, give up our scholarships, give up our titles to a man in the the guise of being inclusive and kind and all of these things when that's not what inclusion means. Because we're actively excluding female athletes who, of course, Title IX was passed to protect. Um, I was waiting up until this point. I was waiting for a coach or I was waiting for someone within the NCAA or a parent or some other swimmer or someone with political power, someone to do something, someone to say something, someone to protect us. But then it kind of hit me once I saw that's not what we were seeing, it kind of hit me that if we as female athletes weren't willing to stick up for ourselves, we can't expect someone else to stick up for us. And and that's what really thrusted me into the position
0: that I'm in now. And this was spring of your senior year?
1: Correct, this was my last meet
0: ever. Oh, gracious. Okay. So I do want to turn to what the school, the reaction, of coaches, the administration. Did anyone express to you agreement that this is ridiculous and unfair?
1: Privately, everyone did. (laughs) Every single person. um, Even the the woman who's an Olympian, her name is Elizabeth Beisel, who was down there interviewing everyone post-race. She looked at me and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Every single coach on that pool deck came up and apologized. Um, Which... Who were they apologizing on behalf of themselves? Um, The NCAA? Um, It kind of blew my mind that so many people, swimmers, coaches, parents, were saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you have to deal with this. Um, And now I constantly get thank you. I get it from parents. I get it from again, coaches, administrators, presidents of universities, um, thank you for doing what you're doing. And it's always privately. Um, of course, there have been few people who have taken a stance publicly. And for that, um, I applaud them because I know what that takes. But the amount of support that I receive privately is tenfold anything I receive negative, of course.
0: Because Title Seven, uh, excuse me, Title IX came along as passed in 1972, It is tied to funding to the schools. Do you think part of that, the reason that the coaches or administrators don't speak up, is it just fear of loss of funding if you challenge this? Is that your?
1: Absolutely, it is. Um, These are institutions and universities and organizations that don't necessarily follow red or blue, they follow green. Um, That's well said. (laughs) (laughs) I've realized this this past year, especially, Um, they will follow the money. Um, in terms of even losing their job, coaches are put in a position where they don't want, they're they're fearful of retaliation, and that's because the NCAA has made it that way. I have screenshots of what the NCAA has said to coaches, has said to, um, actually, that meet that took place, that national championships that took place at Georgia Tech. I have an email of what the NCAA sent to the Georgia Tech host reps who were hosting the meet, and it says, If you speak out in opposition of anything that's happening at this meet, then there will be consequences. So these coaches, these these people who work in the athletic department, they don't feel comfortable saying anything. Of course not. Um, And I know I mentioned to you earlier today. um, I was nominated for NCAA Woman of the Year, which is the most prestigious honor for collegiate female athletes. I was so honored when I received this because at the University of Kentucky, we had the number one WNBA draft pick. We have Abby Steiner, who's breaking world records in track and field. We have a national championship volleyball team and rifle team and and really an amazing group of female athletes, yet they chose me to be their their pick for this award. And so I was, as I mentioned, I was elated. I was honored until they released the full list of nominees for NCAA Woman of the Year, to which it was not exclusive to just women. Um, Leah Thomas was also nominated for this award. they had a big conference where they were announcing who won. And so I went to the conference, but of course I did not go in happy spirits. <laughs> I, was, um, I went and, and we had a rally in opposition of what they were doing. We had one of those big trucks with the digital um, banners on the side mm-hmm. and a lot of really cool stuff. But they had a big convention center as well, where companies and organizations could buy a booth and athletic directors would walk around. And so I applied for a booth with my name, of course, to which I was denied. And I applied again, denied. Then I came up with an alias. And they said, of course, we'll take your money. Um, So I bought a booth inside this convention center. And I was handing out pamphlets and bracelets and and talking about the importance of Title IX. And every single athletic director who walked by said, keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting. This is awesome. You know, We support you. In the first 60 or so, I was um, honored. I was like, wow, we have so much support. This is great. But then as it continued, my feelings began to shift to frustration. Why are they all saying they support us? Yet if we're all on the same page, what's the discrepancy? Why are we catering to the minority if we can all agree here what's happening is wrong? And so I began asking these athletic directors, um, "You know, thanks for the support. Would you be comfortable saying so publicly? Oh, no. Um, we don't want to face a lawsuit, uh, thanks. And they would quickly turn and, and walk away. Even the president of the NCAA himself, Mark Emmert, who has now stepped down, who after the NCAA championships, he released a statement saying he unequivocally stood in his decision to allow Leah Thomas to swim with the women because it was based in evolving science. Um, oh, goodness. when I saw him privately, keep doing what you're doing, keep fighting. But the irony, because he's the one I'm fighting. Yeah. Um, But I think that just goes to show the amount of social pressure, the silencing that's affecting everyone, not just the female athletes, and the lack of a backbone that organizations like the NCAA have.
0: You know, it's an astonishing thing. So this starts with the uh, passage in 1972 of Title IX, and then over time, the push of the uh, pro-transgender movement to define men who say they're women as women because they get, they say that. And so you get to the level where you're talking about where you have coaches and administrators and NCAA officials, all sorts of people, and they're all playing along in in part, it seems because of money. The schools are playing along because of money. The NCAA, I suppose, is doesn't want to go counter to the government, but you've really ended up letting some small cabal in the government, define what a woman is i mean department of education is kind of trying to define what a woman is now um and i mean you just wonder why more people don't step back and say who do you think you are to redefine womanhood where the audacity comes from or the expertise comes from
1: and that's something um that i deserve i I think deserves to be questioned um these Unelected officials and bureaucrats who are making these ultimately making these decisions, they have no power to do so. Yet they are, Um, they're changing the language we use in terms of. They they have lists now that are of words deemed offensive. On that list is mother. Um, The word woman is is deemed offensive. They're changing dictionary definitions of what that word means. And and we have a sitting Supreme Court justice who won't even define the word because it's too controversial or something. I'm not sure. You're not
0: well-educated enough. You don't know. Yeah.
1: I think they do know. I think they're just lying to themselves and the public, um, which is pretty chilling to think we have people in powerful positions who are willing to outright lie, to go against their moral compass, to go against the sheer essence of humanity, because that's what man and woman is. I mean, I hate to break it to everyone in this room everyone listening to this we are all here because of a man and woman and they're asking us to deny that
0: Uh, very well (laughs) very well said yeah (laughs) (laughs) so ways to fight this we talked a minute ago and it is still ongoing in washington right now as we speak Uh, title ix since 1972 which actually many women celebrated when it came along you know the idea that women athletes should have essentially the capacity to go to go forward and compete at colleges. Colleges shouldn't discriminate. I mean, great, great um, standards that were being taken. But at this point, the White House, the bureaucrats, are trying to, to simply redefine the word in, uh, in, in, in this federal law in Title IX, it's been around since 1972, redefine it to say woman is basically anyone who claims that's their gender identity. And actually, you mentioned earlier, as so you should just tell people, The comment period is open for people to respond to that. You want to quickly address that? Yes.
1: The comment period for this Title IX rewrite and what this is, um, of course, as she mentioned, Title IX is a federal civil rights law that is supposed to prevent discrimination on the basis of sex among college campuses and universities. What they're trying to do is rewrite it to where there will no longer be discrimination on the basis of gender identity. So what this means is men would be able to live in dorm rooms with women. Men could join sororities. Men would have full access to bathrooms, locker rooms, changing spaces. Men could take academic and athletic scholarships away from women. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, Actually, if you're a girl who feels uncomfortable sharing a dorm room with a man, and you come out and say that, then you're guilty of sexual harassment under this new rewrite. If you misgender a trans-identifying individual, then you're guilty. Um, not the person who's parading around in your locker room exposing opposite genitalia, that's not sexual harassment. But if you dare call that person a he, after seeing his male parts, then you are committing sexual harassment. But the comment period for this rewrite is open. I think it's open for five or so more days. Normally they have a comment period open for 90 days. But what the Biden administration has done is they've only left this comment period open for 30 days in hopes that people won't write on this because they know this is a a winning issue for, um, not to make this political, but this is a winning issue for Republicans. Um, The way the Democrats are approaching this issue has been abysmal. Um, And so they've lessened the comment period by, I encourage everyone who is listening, everyone who's in the room to go comment on this. I I know you can find that link to comment on this on, it's www.iwf.org. They have a link right there where Um, you can send your comment right to the Biden administration.
0: You know, I love the comment period concept. I mean, I remember from law school, the whole notion of before regulations are put in place, the public has a chance to comment. And I, I was probably even cynical way back then, but I, I mean, I think you should, everyone should make a comment, point out, I think is outrageous, it's a great thing to do. Um, I just think the agenda is so far down the path, I'm not sure the comment that, I, I think they're going to go ahead and try to do what they want to do. Absolutely. So the next step would be Congress, so, so you have the the bureaucracy, redefining, I mean, really changing. Changing the meaning of the original uh, Federal uh, Civil Rights Act, Uh, and you know, I meant to say very quickly too, all the great progress America made. I was like 1919, we had the 19th Amendment saying that women can vote. We had we were the Equal Pay Act, 1963. You know, women get equal pay. Title VII, women get. We're on this path of equality, and we've gotten so bizarrely pushed off track that now instead of Title IX, which was equality access to athletic scholarships and universities required to treat women athletes and, and pr- provide things for them in the way they do for men. And it's just like everything that is, is being pushed by this transgender agenda really destroys it all for women.
1: Absolutely. And they claim it's progressive. They claim it's progress. We're moving in the forward direction. But you're exactly right. This is quite literally the opposite. This is regressive. This is taking us back. Um, this, is, this year will be the 51st anniversary of Title IX. So it's taking us back at least half a century, um, but really even before then. Um, it's regressive. It's sexist. It's, it's not progress. Um, to believe that notion is again to, to believe a lie. Um, and, and I don't think it takes a rocket scientist or a biologist to really see that
0: absolutely true so you have a method in congress where at least the house side that has a slim republican majority passed recently the effort to try to say you know basically men biological men cannot compete in women's sports in, in programs funded by the government and so do you have any sense i mean first of all just i'd love to have you address the breakdown of the vote on that issue in the house
1: absolutely um so this issue is being tackled at both the state and federal level At the federal level, they just introduced um, the House bill, it's the Protection for Women and Girls in Sports Act. When it was introduced among the House, it fell strictly on party lines, which is heartbreaking. Not one of the 203 Democrats in the House voted in favor of protecting women and girls in sports. And this is heartbreaking to me because these people are parents. These are moms and dads of daughters and sons, and yet they're not willing to admit they wouldn't want their daughter in a changing area with the man who's exposing himself. And if they really would be okay with that, then I think there's some other conversations that should probably be had, because I can tell you how my dad responded when I had to share a locker room with Leah Thomas, and I'll kind of describe that scene for you guys very briefly, because I think it's important. Um, Sorry. (laughs) But... First of all, we were not forewarned we would be sharing a locker room. No one told us. Um, The only way we became aware of that was when we had to be in that changing space and see with our own eyes, a six foot four 22 year old man drop his clothes, um, fully intact with an exposing male genitalia while we're simultaneously undressing. Um, Of course, it's awkward, it's embarrassing, it's uncomfortable, but really the word to describe it is traumatic. Um, I walked out of that locker room immediately and I asked one of the officials on the pool deck, how is this allowed to happen? Um, I want to see the rules that that says someone of the opposite sex can be in the women's bathroom, um, the women's locker room. Word for word he says, oh, we actually got around this by making the locker rooms unisex. Um, And so I'm thinking about this and I'm like, okay, unisex. So any man could have walked into our locker room? Any coach, any parent, any official, any pervert who wanted to could have and been able to. Um, so that's what that looked like, and that's the approach they're taking. But it, back to the what's being done about it at the federal level, not one Democrat voting in favor of this. Up until this point, I thought legislation was the quickest way, of course, to make change, is you create laws. Um, that's what the judicial system is, is in place to do, make change. But once I saw this, once I saw that this was something that was so polarizing that it fell strictly on party lines, I realized that's not how change is going to be made. Um, How change is going to be made, and, and for the longest time I rejected this notion of women boycotting, because I thought women shouldn't have to boycott. Women shouldn't have to sacrifice anything to play their sport. Um, you know, and, and when I had the opportunity to do so, I thought, absolutely not, I'm not. I, I'm I'm swimming. I've worked my entire life for this. That's what I'm doing. Um, but now that I've seen how the people in power are responding, it's going to take boycotting. It's an effective way to make change, and again, I, I hate that, and it is easier said than done, but it would be so powerful to see eight lanes of swimming or track and field or whatever that looks like. And all seven girls step down. Um, that's how you send a message. That's how you send a message. That's an effective way. I mean, look, you can, you can see through history that boycotts are an effective way to make change. Um, and again, I, I hate that it's come to this point, but I do think that's an adequate way to move forward. Yeah.
0: I love it too, and I can imagine I think your initial reaction thinking, why should women have to miss out on one swim meet or one anything just because we 're forced to deal with this, but for the long term, if women can bring about change because they simply they, they won 't swim, and so you know let Leah Thomas swim by himself just in the pool and never' just standing there, same thing with many other sports it 's not just the visual that would be really powerful, I think people would realize. These women aren't putting up with this, but also put pressure on the coaches, on the schools to say, we, you know, University of Kentucky and everybody else, we're going back to Congress saying, you've got to fix this because otherwise our sports programs fall apart.
1: Absolutely. Um, The integrity of sport lies in a sense of fairness. Um, and, And that being said, there, of course, are different levels of talent. There are different advantages one might possess, but the performance gap between someone who has 20 times the testosterone of that of a woman is almost unanimously across the board, regardless of sport, regardless of distance you're competing, is 10 to 12%. And that's a huge margin. If you're swimming a two-minute race and you have someone who's 12% faster than you, yet I'm doing everything I can to shave merely a few one-hundredths of a second off my time, of course that's wrong and of course that's unfair. And so absolutely I agree with you.
0: Yeah, I just, as I say, I I guess I'm a visual learner. I just think that'd be a visual lesson for most (laughs) of America. Um, I did tell, oh, actually I have a few more minutes before I get to that. So the other thing I've been really, I think is an interesting shift in America. It was really mostly the left that pushed a lot of changes uh, that originally got us around to having Title VII and no discrimination in the the workforce on race, ethnicity, national origin, et cetera. It was a great thing to have that law passed, Title VII. groups emerged trying to stand up for women. I mean one, you know, was League of Women Voters. They didn't emerge at that time, but they were there to say, yeah, women voters are so important and we're going to be and inform them and inspire them and help them get engaged and put on, we're gonna sponsor debates. They really were all about getting women voters going. Their one ACLU often, you know, I mean I don't like them too well, but they were often trying to stand up for uh, for the individual, for the notion of rights, but group after group, ACLU, uh, I mentioned League of Women Voters, put a huge policy statement out about another group, I keep forgetting the name of it, a Women's Sports, Found- Women's Sports Foundation, which was just jumping up and down with joy when, uh, when the Title IX passed and they could say, This is gonna be great. They've all signed on in support of transgenders. Participating in, in, in support of anatomical men performing in women's sports. What do you think accounts for that? And I don't just crystal ball question, but what accounts for that?
1: I think you're exactly right. The irony almost, it's almost comical to see people who once embraced the original feminist movement of the 90s and, and the pink hats and, and what that stood for was embracing and recognizing and empowering and celebrating women based off of their own uniqueness from men. That's what the whole movement was about. Um, And of course, the left was a party that embraced this. We're seeing these same groups undermine everything they once fought for. Uh, Even Billie Jean King, who is, we have Billie Jean King to accredit Title IX to. Um, She was a crusader for women's sports. She's now, after everything she's done for women, actively fighting for male inclusion in women's sports and women's spaces. It doesn't make sense, and that's why I say it's ironic, because, again, anyone should be able to see this and see how the double standard of what they're doing and what they're fighting for and how this takes away from what they fought their entire, right? Megan Rapino. Brittany Griner, um, Sue Bird, these are female athletes. I mean, Megan Rapino, the way she fought for equal pay for women um, was I again I don't know if I like her as a person that much either and everyone who at the international olympic committee and everyone who knows her personally says she's awful but um, (laughs) she was someone who fought relentlessly for women Um, to now see her of course she's done playing she's at the end of her career she doesn't have a daughter to defend seeing her and a group of other athletes I think there were 36 who signed on to the letter she created and sent to congress undermine their fight is just heartbreaking um, to see someone so athletically successful um, do what she's doing is is heartbreaking.
0: It is. I'll tell you, this may be not the same letter you're referring to, but there was one, uh, Megan Rapinoe, whatever it is, Billie Jean King. They actually got 174 other female athletes to sign some brief supporting trans women in sports. And the reason I'm raising that is I do think, you know, when you're when you're growing up, or when and you know, moms or grandmas, and you're teaching your grandchildren, you teach them don't get pushed around by the crowd. Think for yourself. Don't get you know, if they jump off the cliff, you're going to. I mean, you teach your kids to think for themselves and not to give in to the pressure of of, of groupthink or whatever you call it they their kids. That's what this strikes me as. It is not permissible in polite society in America to say but he's really a guy i mean this guy is a guy and he's got to play in the guy's sports. it's like they've made it impermissible to say something true and it's easier to go along with a lie than to use your own common sense and speak truth
1: absolutely um this is just like any george orwell dystopian novel that we've all read in middle school or high school history or whatever class it was um they're trying to make us say two plus two is five but we know two plus two is not five. But we see the direction this is leading us in terms of the denying objective truth, in terms of the silencing, anyone who disagrees from this group think, in terms of the changing of the language we use, th- there's other pieces of this that don't directly relate to sports, but they want to take away the guns. There's a lot of pieces of this puzzle that point directly to Marxism. Um, yeah. And yeah. we're... This room
0: knows, yeah. <laughs>
1: And we're actively, s- step by step, one foot in front of the other, we're leading ourselves in this direction. Um, and again, i it's been a year since all of this has really happened, and I've been impacted by this. But in this past year, I've been able to step back and really see that for what it is. And I wish more people would. All you have to do is open a history book, and, and we can see how that turns out for other civilizations who, who take this approach. I mean, they want us to the breakdown of faith, the breakdown of families, the breakdown of our freedoms, it's, it's painfully obvious what's happening here. We just need more people to see it. We are declining at the fate of our own hands, which is really, really chilling.
0: It's chilling, and you're absolutely right. You know, we don't, didn't talk at all about COVID, but there was part of that mindset also in the way our country dealt with COVID. You were kind of told, don't think, don't read on your own, don't listen to your doctor, don't listen to the advice of medical experts who are writing. You're being told this is what you must think and how you must act and what you must do. And many people early on recognize, I don't know if you did in COVID at all, but that uh, the notion absolutely. that- Yeah, the notion that we don't want you to think and we're trying to establish as a societal norm in America, all you peasants out there, you don't think, you just get told.
1: Well, let me tell you from an athlete's perspective during this COVID time, um they tried to bully you into getting the vaccine into um again not thinking here you have to get this if you want to play to which i said no um you can't force me i've always been stubborn Um, my mom my mom and dad didn't appreciate it when i was younger but they do now um but i said no um you can't make me do something that I don't feel comfortable doing. They said if you don't, we will make your life pretty miserable.
0: I said, Wait, have "Who fun. said that? The school?
1: The university? Um, I had to get tested every single week, um, and of course they make it at 5 a.m. Um, you have to go get tested. You have to. I had to wear a mask until my completion of my senior year in the weight room. Um, if, as soon as you're done swimming, you have to put a mask on. Oh
0: my which gosh! The chlorine, and you didn't right. if you got the shot. You didn't. Yeah,
1: no. It was, they tried to, they told me if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to travel. Um, But I knew I was one of my university's best swimmers, and I said, okay, have fun. (laughs) To which they said, of course, you can travel. Um, But they tried to bully you. And so this has been stemming for a while, and I didn't see the correlation at the time um, to the bigger picture. But now I really, really do. Um, And as I mentioned, if you just take the politics out of it, and look at this objectively it's easy to see
0: absolutely is you know i told our audience members in the email inviting them that they could submit questions and i have them um and i'm going to read one of them in just a minute but you mentioned uh, something a moment ago about being in the locker room and having uh will thomas come in with his and, and and you know disrobe you mentioned two things one was that it was really unannounced to you but the other one was you know it was uh, it is a it's hard enough i think for women or i didn't like locker rooms it's hard enough for women changing in front of each other but to have a guy there i mean did it upset everybody or just you
1: absolutely everyone Uh um this locker room is a place of buzzing and chatter and you get to see your friends from all over the country who you haven't seen all year and so um, I, was, I was changing into my suit and I had my back turned and there's lots of talking, it's very loud, and all of a sudden it gets dead silent. And that's when I turned around and I saw Leah Thomas. And the discomfort, the inherent need to cover yourself when a male walks in, every girl immediately shied away and turned into the corner and covered themselves. Um, and of course I had conversations with my teammates, with other competitors, with coaches, with parents, there was not a conversation I had with anyone who said, you know, it's okay, you know, we're just sharing a locker room. No one said that. Every single person I talked with felt the exact same way I do. Um, and of course, it, it kind of feels as if I've been this lone voice, this lone face, um, really fighting for this, but I'm speaking for so many more than just myself. Um, in regards to the silencing, and I, I, it's Terrible! What these girls went through. Um, I will say, at my university, um, especially within the athletic department, the academia side is a little different. But within the athletic department, everyone supported me. But that is so far from true from any other girl I've talked to. Um, Leah Thomas's teammates—they were forced to go to mandatory LGBTQ education meetings every week to learn about how just by being cisgender, they were oppressing Leah Thomas. Oh, wow. When they, i this is
0: cisgender, but meaning that you're a straight woman.
1: Yeah. It just means you are a woman who identifies as a woman. <laughs> I think the term cis is the most demeaning. to, to add, to, We have to now add the term biological in front of woman when we're talking about a woman. Yeah, And to me, that feels so demeaning. Do we really have to refer to ourselves as biological women? We are women. That's what we are. We're not hair. We're not heels. We're not makeup. We're not a dress. We are women. We shouldn't have to refer down to the chromosomal level when we're talking about us, but that's what we're doing now. But yes, they were forced to go to mandatory meetings they, when they were uncomfortable in the locker room and they, they sent an email to their administration with their parents on this email thread as well. And I swear I have a screenshot of this. The school's response was, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia, here's some counseling resources that you should seek. They were told, um, you can't take a stance because your school has already taken your stance for you. They were told you will never get a job. You will never, you'll, you'll never get into grad school. You'll lose your friends. You'll lose your playing time, you'll, your scholarship if you speak out. Um, they were told if you do speak out and any harm whatsoever comes towards Leah's way, whether that be physical harm, mental harm, emotional harm, whatever that looks like, then you are solely responsible. And you don't want that, do you? You don't want to be responsible for someone else hurting themselves or for harm coming to someone's way. So I suggest you don't talk. Um, You have to be inclusive and you have to be kind. That's what they dealt with on a daily basis. And that is a lot more common. What I dealt with at my university is so unique compared to what anyone else in the country in regards to female athletes faced.
0: You wanna share your dad's reaction to your having Leah Thomas in the locker room?
1: So my dad is a NFL football player. He was, not anymore. He's old and fat now. Sorry, dad. <laughs>
0: um, she didn't mean it, she didn't mean
1: that, yeah. Um, but he's a big guy. And again, we didn't know we were sharing this locker room. And so when I called him after we had to see firsthand that we were, and he was in Atlanta at this meet, and I said, Dad, there's a man in our locker room watching us undress while we simultaneously had to see him undress. And he said, Riley, I'm coming down there and I'm handling that myself. (laughs) And I said, dad, we already have one man in the locker room. We don't need two. But that was the general consensus among parents. Um, It was my husband too, I'm married my husband was there, and him having to know that I was sharing a locker room with a man, um, that's not something that was okay with him. That's not, Of course, he wasn't mad at me for it, but just knowing that we were sharing that environment, it just felt as if, um, I think betrayal is a good word for it, because the people who were supposed to ensure that would never happen um, failed. I think two years prior to this, a man walks into a woman's locker room and a DA follows him in and immediately arrests him. And he's charged with sexual harassment, voyeurism, and decent exposure. I'm sure the list could go on, but now not only was it just happening, it was being celebrated. It was being encouraged. ESPN has honored Leah Thomas um, for Women's History Month as this courageous, brave woman. Um, it, it, it's, it's celebrated. It's, that's what's happening.
0: One um, person here today was talking about their niece uh, is a a great swimmer and is beginning to be recruited by colleges. So she's basically saying, you know, what advice do you have? Should you, if you're being recruited, should you ask the question during recruitment? Should you talk to your coaches, to the school? Should you make your or should you just be quiet about it?
1: I think it's crucial to ask these questions um, to see where your coach stands. And if the coaches, which they're likely not going to be willing to answer, or they'll refer you to some long policy that they have to follow that I can promise you is not um, a policy that protects women, um, ask the team, ask the girls a part of the team. They're more likely to give you an honest answer as to what this looks like. I I do think that's, and I thought about this for the first time the other day of of girls being recruited. I think this is a crucial question to ask. I think it um, is important because you don't wanna be in an environment where you feel like you're the only person who feels uncomfortable in a locker room with a man because a lot of these girls how their coaches responded they did feel like they should feel wrong like they should apologize for feeling uncomfortable in that scenario and you don't want to put yourself in that position
0: absolutely okay Uh, another question was we mentioned um megan Rapino, um and she's all for this. But Martina Nevertrulova has come out, I guess, in support of what you're saying, in support of saying there shouldn't be men and women's sports. What do you think drives the difference? Why would why those two people? Yeah, I mean, and I don't know, maybe you don't know, but I'd love to have your thought. Your it's thought. interesting
1: because both of these women, um, both Megan and Martina, um, they're both openly lesbian. So they're both a part of this LGBTQ community. Um, and, and what I find so fascinating about Martina is she's a lifelong liberal. She's someone who hates Trump openly. Again, she talks about, um, you know, there could be other issues that we don't agree on. But this is a hill that she's willing to die on because she, of course, is, she's played sports her whole life. She knows the value. She knows the work you put in. And, and I, I think she could compare herself to tennis royalty on the men's side and know that she couldn't compete. Um, and to say that isn't to knock her. It's not to say that she's not phenomenal. It's not to say that she's not incredible and strong and capable of amazing things as she's, as she's proved. It's just to say that men and women are different, and I think she's just someone who's not willing to falter from the truth, which is really powerful. Um, what I've seen this past year, um, I formed great alliances with women who, again, are, are they vote, or Democrat, um, which this issue, it shouldn't be political. Sports is the right. one thing should, that should never become political, but we've over-polarized it. it, and it's inevitable that it has gone this route, but it's become over-polarized to where people who actually know this is wrong aren't willing to say so, and they're remaining silent, and that's what we're seeing across so many um, well-known female athletes. Um, Venus and Serena Williams, uh, I mean, I could go on. There are so many athletes who haven't taken a stance, and I think it's because they know it's wrong, but they aren't willing to say it because of how polarized the situation has gotten.
0: Venus and Serena neither has said anything about the issue? No. Okay, you know what's interesting thing about that? I mean, they are, you know, obviously stellar, stellar, stellar athletes. And as you say, it's a common sense thing. It's just, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's like the emperor has no clothes kind of observation. It's a guy and that's why he's winning these swimmies, because he's a guy, he's not a woman. You would think those kind of things, the more you speak up and the more other people like you speak up, it should, call, it should give courage to other people. You would think Martina, I mean, excuse me, you would think that the, uh, Venus and, and Serena would end up thinking, man, if this young lady who's 23 or 24, however old you are, you're a you know, young woman can speak up, Maybe, I, I mean, I think you're gonna encourage people like them and they may actually find the courage to say, well, she can say it and she's taking all these bullets for the, on the issue, we should speak up too. I totally,
1: mean- I, I definitely agree. Courage begets courage. And that being said, there's strength in numbers. Um, I think as more and more people are emboldened and empowered um, to be willing to ruffle feathers and step on toes and take a stance in, in common sense I think more and more people will, will see that and follow suit, um, which is, is great. I, I think we're getting there. I think the tides are starting to turn. Um, just as Megan Rapino had a letter that had 36 other athletes on it sent to Congress, I created a letter and was able to get um, 72 Olympians, um, world record holders, people who have accomplished amazing things to sign on to a letter and send it to Congress. And I, I, I think that goes to show that more people um, are willing to admit this is wrong. It might just take some time.
0: I did not know you did that letter. I love it. 72 other, all women or?
1: All women, all yep. women who have played at the collegiate level or higher. Um, there were about 40 or so Olympians on this list who have won gold medals Um, there are women who have world records on this list in in various sports, um, all all sports. Uh, It's really phenomenal.
0: It is phenomenal. I will say I do want to let you talk a little bit about the Independent Women's Forum, Independent Women's Network, and and you're speaking around the country uh, on these issues, which I'm just so grateful for. It's just a a great thing. But one last thing about the common sense nature of it all. I, I, I think about these issues so often. When you are elected to Congress or a state legislature, your House or Senate, whether it's state level or US government, you're holding yourself out as someone who is principled, who is intelligent, who will stand, I mean, impliedly will stand up for truth. It is breathtaking to me that so many on the state and federal level, I mean, this issue is not, as you've said several times, is not complicated, how they are willing to just play along with this facade, this hoax the entire transgender i'm really a girl because i say i am hoax you and, and it shouldn't take letters from you and other no. athletes it should just be no matter how many people come in and tell them we want you to support men's and women's sports that they should be able to say i'm not going to do that that's crazy i mean just i hope that the pressure makes them makes them feel almost embarrassed for standing up with what the what this entire transgender movement is trying to say
1: absolutely i um i mentioned this to you previously too but i think there's this constant cycle of hard times create strong men strong men create good times good times create weak men weak men create hard times and that repeats itself and then that's evident throughout history as well and i think we're in this the phase right now of weak men create hard times Um, we can only hope that means hard times will create strong men Um, so parents teach your sons masculinity and be willing to defend your daughters um, but I think that's what they are. I think these are weak men um, and, and women, especially in terms of Congress. Um, it's they're just weak.
0: They have no backbone. They're cowards. Yeah. They are weak. And actually, I didn't earlier uh, today. Did not hear you mention Marxism as as an underlying ideology. But that is a huge part of it too. J- just the, the entire movement kind of sweep the country and remove um, well, the courage of people and the the common decency, common sense of people just to speak truth and see it and say it. And, totally. and it it's a bullying thing.
1: It is. And I think the other underlying um, kind of root here, I'm a Christian. Um, I really think this is spiritual warfare. Um, it's no longer right versus wrong or good versus bad. This is really moral versus evil, and it's light versus dark, yeah. and yeah. Um, the Bible prophesies that this happens, and it tells us we're on the winning side, but just how long do we have to endure this? How many girls have to be injured in their sport? How many girls have to be exploited in the locker room? How many girls have to give up their opportunities? Um, and that's, that's why I'm fighting this, and I encourage everyone else to fight this.
0: Love it. I was going to ask you why you feel so strongly fighting it, but you really just answered that in the last minute we have. I'd love to have you tell us. So you are a spokesperson for, um, which is it? Independent Women's, Women's forum. forum. For the forum. Okay. We'll quickly talk about that.
1: They're a phenomenal group that um, really tackles issues that affect women. Um, this, they approach every issue conservative minded and, and they're phenomenal. Um, when all of this started, I was traveling state to state on my own dime trying to get in front of state legislature and they really kind of scooped me up and and helped me, provided me with the resources in terms of helping me write testimonies, helping me know where to be and how to navigate this realm because it's extremely difficult to navigate when you have no idea what you're doing, which I admittedly do not. so they're phenomenal. Their website is www.iwf.org. Right now, they're actually helping um, the University of Wyoming girls who are actively in a lawsuit. Um, with their, They're a part of Kappa Kappa Gamma. They are, um, it's a group of 11 girls. They are suing their sorority because they've now let a man into the sorority. He is living in their sorority house. Um, a lot of the details of this are really explicit and really um, revolting. 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 <laughs> um, but they're doing a phenomenal job in helping them as well. So they're a great group to be a part of.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, they really are. Independent Women's Forum, Independent Women's Voice. I mean, they are just great groups that have had experts from that organization many times in this show. They're really phenomenal, speaking up for women. Riley Gaines, you are an amazing young woman. I heard you say earlier that you don't like to be described as brave or you don't think you're brave. I think it's a pretty good word for you, is brave. I, I mean, really. <laughs> Thank you. I thank you so much for joining me today. This has been just an eye-opening, and um, you're just an impressive young woman who's just going to speak truth, and that's all you're doing. You're just speaking truth. Absolutely. And it's absolutely wonderful. I thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for all you're doing. You are really helping many women going forward in America, future generations of Americans, really, by taking your stand. Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you
0: So for those of you online that was actually a standing ovation of our studio audience which is very very sweet very wonderful very deserved uh, i'm so grateful they were here grateful you were here and i thank you all for tuning in to america can we talk uh tomorrow we have our real thursday show this was a thursday show on a wednesday today tomorrow we a real uh, show with sharona bishop who is just also a national figure an amazingly brave woman who is standing up for election integrity to the point that she had the FBI break down her front door for doing nothing wrong. So she is going to be a great guest also. I want to thank you. So tune in tomorrow at 3 PM. And as I always say at the end of every show, I thank you so very much for tuning in to America, Can We Talk? My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The website is americacanwetalk.org. Thank you for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America, Can We Talk? Where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Oh,